Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're gonna lose. Coming down the stretch, you're gonna lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to talk about MSU's upcoming game against its rival, the Michigan Wolverines in Ann Arbor on Saturday night. Michigan State is going for the season sweep, which will be the first time since 2019. Also, the overall series is getting pretty close to being tied up at 97 to 89. Uh, before we begin, a special thanks to Doug Robinson, who joined the Draymond Green level on Patreon. Thanks a lot, Doug. We really appreciate you and everyone else who supports the show through one-time gifts or recurring gifts. If you love the show and want to show us a little late Valentine's love, go on over to tffinots.com support to get the links. Well, the last time these two teams met, Michigan State was four and five in the league. And at some point early in the year, they actually were tied for Michigan last place and they've crawled their way up all the way to tied for fourth now. Michigan, however, has continued its downward spiral, except for an inexplicable win at Chrysler over the Badgers. Uh, there's plenty of talk amongst the dozen or so Michigan basketball fans on the future of Jawan Howard. And so that's certainly one of the things we'll be talking about today. Uh, Michigan State is 8-17 and 17 overall, 3-11 and 11 in the Big Ten, coming off the 29-point loss to Illinois. Uh, but like I mentioned, they did win the last game by four over Wisconsin, who's been in a free fall. The Wolverines are 103rd in Ken Palm and 96th in the net, one spot ahead of Minnesota. Uh, so, you know, unless they win the Big Ten tournament, they pretty much are finished for the season. On offense, they're 68th overall, which isn't terrible. Uh, but it's a lot worse than the first time they played uh, in East Lansing. They've been good for three-point shooting team at 36.3%, but pretty mediocre inside the arc at 148th. They're a decent uh, team offensive rebounding at 87th, but have really struggled with turnovers, and they turned the ball over a lot. They're 224th. They've shot free throws decently, but only that is uh, 71%, which and they don't get there very often at 193rd ranking for free throw attempts to field goal attempts. And the defense has been crazy bad. They are 180th in the country, which is the worst defensive team at the league in the Ken Palm era. They give up 36% from three to opponents, uh, although they do limit attempts at 49th. Uh, then they're 204th against twos, which uh, also is awful. They're a bad defensive rebounding team at 266. They don't turn anybody over and are one of the 10 worst teams in America in steal percentage. They're 95th in free throw attempts to field goal attempts by opponents, so they don't foul quite as much as they have before, but overall, pretty miserable. And I think they're easily now much worse in Iowa, which is saying something. <laughs> they're slow overall. They're slow in offense, yeah. 214th and 214th in length of offensive possession. Uh, opponents have been played relatively fast against them uh, at 72nd in length of average offensive possession against. And so... Uh, paints a pretty dismal f- 
picture of a team that's had a pretty dismal season. Yeah, you know, and obviously the first thing, one of the first things you think about is Michigan as a home team versus a road team, uh, you know, over the last several weeks. That's mm-hmm. been defined by does Doug McDaniels play or not because when they go on the road, apparently his ability to, quote, Tony Soprano, <laughs> crack a book or um, – <laughs> or. Uh, do those travel? My, I don't. Can you take books of, on buses? One of my place? favorite lines from The Sopranos, is, <laughs> as an aside, is it happens several times over the course of the series. Is when Tony gets upset with his son AJ and yells at him to crack a book. But uh, <laughs> needless to say, Doug hasn't been doing enough of that. That's why he's sitting out road games. This is a game at Chrysler, so he is expected to play. Um, but you know that that weird win over Wisconsin uh, about a week or so ago aside. They haven't been much better, if at all, with him than without him. Yeah. Um, so you can't really say, well, they're a totally different team. No, they're a different team in one sense. The, the turnover number, I think, is a little worse probably than what we can expect to see on Saturday mm-hmm. night yeah. because they are markedly different. I mean, when they don't have him, they have no point guard. They just don't have him. Right. Uh, Jaden Llewellyn's numbers, as we'll get into, are awful, and he's the closest thing they've got. So it's um, it's a better picture in that respect. But look, offensively, this is maybe a little – I expected them to struggle offensively coming into the season, relatively speaking. But yeah. I, I would say, you know, where they are now, where they were before the first game, they were 47th in overall offensive efficiency. That was definitely better than I expected. Where they're at now is getting closer to what I would have expected. Maybe a shade better, but they're not a great offensive team regardless. The turnover numbers kill them. Um, They don't shoot well from two at all. What saves them is they're a decent three-point shooting team, Mm -hmm. and they're a decent offensive rebounding team, so they do generate second chances. That's Those are really the things they do well. Defensively, as you've said, we're, we're getting into territory that is very rarely <laughs> touched on by a Big Ten Uncharted. Team. There's a chance, you know, a real chance that they could end up outside the top 200 in defensive efficiency. That is beyond what you would ever expect possible from a Big Ten team. And it's team-wide. We talked about this before the first game. They brought in some guys, Namari Bennett and uh, Olivier Camois, were both guys who came from solid defensive programs and who had very good reputations as individual defenders. And then you had um, Dickinson's minutes, where he was very rough defensively for the most part, were being Mm -hmm. replaced by Terrace Reed, who showed a lot on that end as a freshman. I, I was convinced they were going to be a, a pretty good defensive team. They have been anything but. Not only have they not been pretty good, they've been one of the worst teams in the conference over the entirety of the Ken Palm era, which is whatever it is, 22 years, 23 years now. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is. It's stunning. And they're, they're a horrendous defensive rebounding team. They are horrendous against twos. Um, they're saving grace against threes is they limit attempts pretty well. Um, but th- this <laughs> is a team twos that, are easy. <laughs> yeah. So their profile is 
is somewhat, it, it shares some similarities with Penn State, except in some respects, it's much worse. Um, they have gotten a little better at avoiding fouling than they were before the first game, so you give them that. But this is, that <laughs> they don't force turnovers at all. So this is, this is a rough group defensively. There's no two ways about that. And they allow people to play fast against them. So you know what that, that um, length of average offensive possession against is reflected by? And we saw this at times in the mm-hmm. first game. They are a terrible transition defense team, just off. Um, yeah. And so teams are able to generally, I mean, Illinois did that. I didn't look at the box score to see how many points in transition Illinois scored, but they put up almost 100. So, you know, <laughs> you can you can read the, the writing on the wall with that one, right? Um, they just, there's just nothing you can point to defensively that's something to hang your hat on. It's just a bad picture. Yeah, this season has obviously been not what they expected. I mean, it's been multitudes worse than anyone probably anticipated. It started, of course, with Jawan Howard not even coaching because right. he was he had surgery, and then he came back as an assistant and <laughs> somehow got himself thrown out of a game as an assistant coach. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and then Doug McDaniel gets the suspension well, just uh, for six away games. It, it's been just a weird – I mean, you're a bad season stuff. just got worse. You're, you're not even capturing all of it. Then he handed the baton and let Phil Martelli become the head coach <laughs> for the game at the Palestra against Penn State. He had – the altercation with strength and conditioning coach John Sanderson, who's been this guy that the the program and its fans talk about as if he's God um, for years. And it's so bad that Sanderson gets reassigned out of the, he's in, still in the athletic department, but he gets reassigned. He's not working with the basketball team anymore. Yeah. So that's on top of everything else you just said. Oh, and by the way, they might not win double digit games overall. And they are in last place in the Big Ten, which I believe I can't remember what the what the specific year was, but I want to say it was some point in the sixties. Was the it last was a, time yeah, like forty years, fifty years the ago. The last time they like finished that, yeah. dead last in the conference. That's a very distinct possibility for this team. Yeah, and with that Sanderson situation too, I mean, as an aside, I there is the way it sort of worked itself out that he just got transferred to a different part of the athletic department to me tells me that for sure it was it was Howard initiated Howard is the one who's responsible but they had to get they couldn't obviously get rid of Sanderson because you know normally if you have someone who is a much lower position get into altercation with the head coach the guy in the lower position is gone I mean he's just finished you make a good so point. unless you make a he good would, point that does the, smack the, he, of an HR move doesn't it oh it's an HR move yeah. for sure he's yeah. just we'll move we'll reassign you this way you don't have to deal with you know yep. Howard and his kids Those or whatever are. Uh, you don't sue us, you know, we would have unlawful, you know, on what's the, uh, uh, the firing, you know, it's not, I can't think the term, but you know, basically we're not allowed to fire someone because of it's unfair. Yeah. Uh, it almost sounds like for sure that's what happened. Uh, what actually happened as far as, you know, whether it was just verbal or was physical or who knows, yeah. but that for a, a department that's, you know, that came out and said, we're, it's a zero policy, a zero, you know zero tolerance policy for anger clearly that's not that's not true it couldn't it couldn't be but you know whatever and here's the thing we're recording this on thursday night um yesterday wednesday um ward manual the athletic director at michigan offered he was asked 
and responded in some detail to what his position is on the basketball program. And to my eyes, it, you know, sometimes say, well, the, the dreaded, you know, um, uh, message of support is the kiss of death, right? Yes. Um, I don't think so here. It's been, it's been certainly bandied about in rumor land all year or since things turned really sour that Howard would not be fired. And I read that statement. I don't see any indication. I think what, what they're likely to do is to say, look, this year was kind of cursed and star-crossed from the beginning because of his health problems, and we're not going to hold him responsible for everything that happened this year. We're going to give him one more chance. Let's think back to you know, the, what they did with their football program in the aftermath of a terrible 2020 season. Um, now granted, it was a COVID year, blah, 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 but it was a bad year. And before that, Jim Harbaugh had not been bad, but he hadn't done what he was brought there to do. He hadn't beaten Ohio State. He hadn't won a Big Ten championship. He hadn't been in the playoffs. So there was a real strong current among the Michigan fan base that this guy is a failure. He's got to go. I mean, that's the history. A lot of them don't want to revisit, but that's the truth. What did they do? Well, they brought him back. They did some weird cutting of his salary, but they brought him back. And, yeah. you know, he's so I, in a normal place, like let's look at Ohio State as a <laughs> contrast. I think Chris Holtman probably did enough to lose his job. I've been talking about it for four years. It finally happened. <laughs> but by comparison to what's happened at Michigan, you know, Chris Holtman has not, Chris Holtman has never publicly embarrassed the school. Juwan Howard, we're starting to lose count how many times it's happened. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, Chris Holtman had, you know, the last two years have been rough, but the last two years at Michigan have been rough. So before that, I would say Holtman, he didn't hit the highs that Howard hit, but I think he had a steadier performance and, and Ohio state moved on him. Right. So they, yeah. they, before they wait for the season to end, I, I just knowing how Michigan institutionally views basketball, I just, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm a hundred percent convinced, but I've tipped over the 50% mark that he's going to be back for at least one more year. I, I think I, I just don't, I could be wrong, but well, yeah, I, and God sure. help them if they fire, because I'm telling you. On the one hand, as a Michigan State fan, I think uh, the downside with that is we know what we've got with Juwan Howard. You're not worried about him. You know, they could luck into somebody good, you know, or at yeah. least better than what they've had. But on the other hand, you know, you look at that list that Ohio State has got that we talked about in our, our last episode a little bit, mm -hmm. and it's just replete with high major coaches. And I think the feeling seems to be that at least for now, they'll likely land somebody at that level. Or maybe a Dusty May, which would basically be about the same thing because that guy's going to have, you know, he's going to be able to name a high major job, essentially, right. up on the available right. ones, you know? Um, I don't think that's going to be the case for Michigan. I really don't. Now, I could be wrong, and, you know, there could be somebody out there who's in a spot where they're not getting along with their athletic director or they don't feel there's enough NIL support or whatever, but that's the thing. It's it's how Michigan views basketball historically. The NIL situation there is reportedly rough. I mean, look, they lost Hunter Dickinson, 
that tells you part of the story where it's at. And then they also, to compound it, they have regular issues with admissions. So you can't even promise a coach, hey, you're going to be able to build through the portal here, which is going to be something whoever's coaching that team next year has to do. They have no choice. They've only got three high school recruits that are slated to come in. They're going to lose a bunch of guys and they got to somehow find a way to get better. Right. So (laughs) the portal would be a necessity, but they're, they're more limited than any other team in the big 10. If you look at how their admissions process works, and then you're compounding it with a questionable NIL situation, where exactly is the path to, is it, well, get a degree from Michigan, get serious, you know, (laughs) it's not, it's just, it's a, it's a bad situation. So I look at that and I think, and they're, they're in a year where they just had to replace their football coach and they're doing it with a holdover on the staff and the, and then he took a bunch of the, the rest of the staff, you know, that's a big deal. Even coming off that national title, do they really have the stomach, the appetite for an attempt to reinvent the basketball program when we know that institutionally that has challenges? I just, I'm not buying it. Not yet. Yeah. Now, if Michigan State goes in there and runs a train on them on Saturday night, maybe that changes. Maybe that's enough to move the dial. But for right now, like I said, I'm at least a little bit over 50% that he stays. And that's a great thing. That's a great thing if you're a Michigan State fan. You love hearing right. that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you can talk yourself in any scenario because you can say, well, you know, they're, they're going to likely just wait to the end of the season uh, because obviously they play ample opportunities throughout the season to get rid of Jawan Howard. They're just deciding to wait with the change of the football team. You can do this now and no one really notices. Uh, You can have him walk away for health reasons or all kinds of ways you can sort of find the door and and get it done. Uh, And, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's no way any of us can know. And and I think it may just be, it's going to, it might just be dependent on how we finish the season, right? If they continue this, this slide where they just win like two more games, then maybe he's gone, you know, maybe, but maybe Ward's like, okay, I'll give you some more time. But uh, because you're Fab Five, I'll give you more time. Here's what I do. That I mean, I would argue that you know, not to belabor this thing, but yeah. um, I would I would argue that the ample opportunities that have been presented to get rid of them and that they haven't done it tells you that they're not that likely to do it. Right. right. I know. There, there's I that. Agree. There's that spin on it too. But I I really I just don't I don't get that feel that that they're they're ready to make that kind of move. And if they do, if they do it, I'm telling you, they, I would be shocked if they are able to convince an established good high major coach to take that job. I think they would have to go in the mid-major ranks and that might end up working out because you can catch yeah. lightning in a bottle and you get the sure. right guy. So I, I, I am on team retain Juwan Howard, make no mistake. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we'll see. We are right that none of us can know until we know. But just yeah, hand, right. handicapping it, let's put it this way. I think it's more likely that Indiana fires Mike Woodson than Michigan firing Juwan Howard. If I had to put money on it, that between those two choices, that's where I'd put my money. Yeah. we And we'll have a different feel for things in about two weeks. Because, yep. you know, Michigan loses by double digits every game for the next two weeks. If their team looks like they've given up, then maybe then... They, they'll leave Ward Mountain yeah. with no choice. Maybe. You know, maybe, yeah. That, Who but knows, you know maybe what? Goes in. Here's the other thing that argues against that, though. 
is that I keep coming back to the same point. That school doesn't care about basketball enough. They don't. You can say, well, if they just continue getting embarrassed like this, or what? You got you've got that fan base doing everything it can right now to deny that the sport of basketball even exists. It's a, it truly is amazing. Like I've, I've, I've said this conversation I've had with people like for as bad and as tough as this football season was to go through as a Michigan state fan, I still watched every game, you know, and most people I know did the same. Now was attendance at Spartan stadium hit. Sure. It was not like it is a Chrysler though, not even close. (laughs) And, and the idea of just basically switching off, which by the way, some of their media, some of the, some of the media that I'm not talking about the free press or the news, but I mean, some of the internet, the online media that, that exists in this ecosystem to cover the university of Michigan, they'll say as a point, the guy who runs the MGO blog, which is one of maybe the biggest of their internet mm-hmm. sites said as a matter of fact in a recent game that he didn't bother to watch it are you <laughs> i can't even imagine that i can't imagine it but it's said as if it's a perfectly acceptable response and thing to do so yeah. the the upshot of all of that is you could say well if they keep losing games by double digits and they only win one more game let's say or none the rest of the way that they'll be too much it'll be too embarrassing enough to fire them i'm not convinced of that because to get to that point means you got to have a certain constituency willing to hold the feet of the AD to the fire. I don't yeah. see any well, you donors, right? To yeah. buy out, buy yeah. out contracts and who's, get new coaches. Yeah. Who's right. the, it's just <laughs> flash forward. God help us all to a situation where Tom Izzo's successor, whomever that might be, is struggling through a season like this. How long would it take Matt Ishbia? to be not and not just Matt other people too but just just use him as an example there's no Matt Ishbia lurking for Michigan in that basketball program none does not exist it's funny because the only period that this stuff went on you know it's funny to think about in the 60s 70s and 80s and and into the 90s too Michigan cheated their asses off they're one of the worst violators of NCAA rules when it comes to paying people buying players that there was in the country and that's that's verifiable because the Fab Five scandal is, in terms of financial impact, I believe, still the biggest in NCAA history. So, yeah. mm-hmm. but it's funny to me as I look back at it and I think, and yet nobody really has ever cared about this program, and yet they were doing that. Where did those guys go? I mean, I know where Ed Martin went; he died. But where did where did the rest of it? Where did the guys that were that were dropping off bags of money at the lamplighter in the eighties go? What happened to those guys? <laughs> I don't know. On some level, though, too, don't you think those guys are getting paid in other ways? Like, I think that was like a financial decision for a lot of those guys. They were. Yeah. It was almost a business decision versus like, you know, handing over, you know, donating. The the bottom line is, man, I mean, Michigan's got, you know, problems. I know they had some big announcement yesterday. They think they got their NIL problem solved, but I'll believe that when I see it because I think there's some institutional stuff there that they may not be passed yet. But regardless of what happens, that's football stuff. They're yeah, not, right. They're not, you know, people are talking about the Ohio State job, and I've seen a number of, I've seen enough people, both national and otherwise, comment on this to believe it's true that relating to Ohio State, that Sean Miller 
you know, is a name that's been bandied about is currently at Xavier. From what I've heard, it, it seems like the NIL program at Xavier is in better shape than it is at Ohio State. And Ohio mm. State historically does a better job of supporting their basketball program than Michigan does. So what does that tell you it's like at Michigan? Yeah. You know? <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, it's a bad, let's go bad through the lineups team, here. man. It's a bad basketball <laughs> team. That's right let's now. Go, that's right. The team's here. Uh, first brought to you by the brothers, Jesse Gutter, sponsoring the player that Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter. Uh, the brothers will take care of your gutter work, obviously. I don't know about you on the other side of the state, but we got five inches of snow, which I was totally unprepared for yeah. this morning as Us I was too. driving to work. We didn't get five, but I was unprepared. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a bus blocking the exit ramp, so I had to drive around it in order to get to the hospital. So anyway, we managed to get to where we need to go, but you know that snow is going to melt, and that melting water, it's got to go somewhere, and so you want to make sure it goes to the right place, and so make sure your gutters are functioning properly, your downspouts, and the outspouts that push it away from the, your house. If that's messed up, it's going to cause all kinds of problems. So you want to make sure that's taken care of. The Brothers Adjuster Gutters on both the east and west side of the state can take care of that so you don't have to worry about it. They give you great pricing. They come in any time of the weather. Right now, they'll come out and do the work. Uh, so they'll do a great job. You get 10% off. You mentioned Final Four when you go get your estimate. You can find all that information at the our support page at the Final Four is on the schedule.com slash support. All right, so we'll begin with starter Doug McDaniel. That's Doug with one G, a six-foot guard averaging <laughs> 16.8 points a game on 43, 36, and 79 shooting, also averaging 4.7 assists per game and a little bit above a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> I still have never understood the D-U-G. I don't know if that's like a family thing or what that's all about, but anyway. <laughs> um, look, he makes them better offensively. There, there's, there's no two ways about that. If if you watch them on the road, it's a real struggle. I mean, Luella nominally plays the point. They've got other guys like Burnett and and uh, Camois who really make more plays, but it's it's a struggle without him. So at least with with little Dougie, um, you get uh, you've got a real point guard out there, and he's a capable shooter, so mm-hmm. he can he can score himself. I would say this. His numbers offensively look better than it feels when I'm watching him because I think his shot selection is questionable sometimes. He he does a lot of something that has been done with regularity at Michigan going back to the beeline era, which is small guards who throw up a lot of slop at the rim and somehow get it to fall. I mean, you remember those half hooks that um, – oh. Xavier Simpson. Uh, Simpson used to hit. Yeah. Um, you know, even Derek Walton did some of that. And then some of the guys, Mike Smith, some of the guys they brought in since then. Uh, and Doug does a little bit of that, but sometimes he forces that stuff. And just his shot selection in general, I don't think is great. And he's a capable creator and assist guy because he's fast and he's also able to vary speed so he can create separation at times. But I don't think he's a great playmaker. He's not He's not an elite guy in that area. He's solid, and he's by far, by light years, the best option they've got. So he'll make them better offensively in a lot of ways. But defensively, he's truly awful. I mean, he just – and it, you look at a guy like that, you would think, well, at a minimum, he should be able to be a pest, you know? Yeah, quick. He's small, but he's quick, and he should, you know, you see him play, you think, well, that guy should at least be – 
you know, look at what someone like uh, Tyson Walker is an entirely different animal, but look at what somebody like Tyson Walker is able to do with a similar size. But this guy, he, he looks like he doesn't care to me, which I think yeah. is we look at everything else surrounding him. I don't think that's an unfair read. Um, he takes bad angles, um, bad positioning. It's just, it's, it's a rough picture. And this is one where I do feel as if whomever he's guarding for Michigan state needs to go at him hard, hard, mm -hmm. make him try to guard you. Cause I have not seen it happen yet. Uh, then Snamari Burnett. 6'5", transfer from Alabama, averaging 9.5 points a game, 4.2 rebounds a game, shooting 38, 34, and 76. And about a 2-to-1 sister-over ratio with a 65-to-37. Yeah. He's their best playmaker. I mean, and he's far from a point guard. So best playmaker other than McDaniel, I should say. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. You know, I think what's happened here, and we talked about it, I think, for the first game. Burnett started his career out Texas Tech, then he went to Alabama, and now he's at Michigan. So he's on school three. And he was a McDonald's All-American coming out of high school. And mm -hmm. I think what was behind his decision to transfer is, you know, the way Nate Oates operates is he'll bring in, he'll recruit freshmen, and then he'll bring in a lot of transfer guys. He he wants to have a lot of competition. And I, I sense that Burnett, both of their big transfers, Burnett and Guy will talk about a second, Camwa, I think came from teams that won a lot last year where they were important parts of those rotations, but they weren't a focal point. They weren't stars. And I think these guys, mm -hmm. my sense is they moved because they wanted to be more of a focal point. Burnett's been fine. You know, he's been okay. He's been a solid player. But what I think has been made evident this season is he is not an alpha or even a sidekick guy. He's a guy <laughs> who basically is what he was at Alabama and what he's been on this team. He's a good third or fourth option. You know, defensively, though, is where it's been weird because I really thought he would be a key. To, I thought he was a guy that they could put on opposing wings. And, and you know, he's got good size. He's 6'5", and he's pretty solidly put together, and he's a decent athlete. I thought he was a guy they could use against, you know, the Terrence Shannons of the world and have a chance, you know, that he would give them a very versatile defensive presence and he hasn't done anything to make them better. It's not all his fault by any means, but he has not made an impact at that end. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think you may see that a little bit with the transfer portal in general, just as you have players become... You know, you're the best of the transfer portal, but it doesn't mean you're the best players available, you know, or I should say best players that are out there. And so I think you can kind of maybe get yourself built up a little bit bigger than what you really are. Well, when it gets, you, you know, look, man, it's, later. it's a guessing game, right? Because you're sure. even when you're talking high major to high major, so you can look at one guy and say, well, this guy was a role player on this team, but he's got the potential. If he's in a different situation, he gets more shots. He's utilized in a way that's a little more conducive to what he does. You know, it's he's just a better fit, right? That he could be more of a presence in a different situation. And you know what? Sometimes that happens. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. I, I guess my feel is in general, like the players who really stand out and maybe this is just my dumb general impression, but it's that the ones who really do well transferring, who become stars are ones who were the best player on their team as they transfer. Jameson battle, for instance, going to, you know, that was a big pickup for Ohio state uh, or, 
uh, AJ Store, or I'm trying to think of the, their number of players that were like, they're, they're best or they were like certainly emerging as the best players in their team. And that then they might transfer. Be, that might be true. You know, with AJ Store, he was a freshman last year. So I think, I think sometimes it's that you get a guy who's still young, who yeah, shows a sure. lot of signs, maybe didn't quite break through as a star. Cause Store didn't even average double digits at St. John's last year. So, but, but you look at the teams that were involved with him and it was kind of understood. Yeah. This guy is on the come. I mean, it was, yeah. It has not been a shocker that he's been productive. You know, Terrence Shannon was kind of that way. If, if I remember correctly, Terrence Shannon's numbers at Texas Tech, you know, uh, his his sophomore year were not overwhelming. But there was an indication like, yeah, this guy could be primed for a breakout because a lot of big programs were on him. And sure enough, he did that at Illinois. So, yeah, it, it it's just it's tough to it's just tough to know. And it's looking at mid-major guys that transfer up. Who's going to be a a, a domain? Yeah, and, well, you can never. Yeah, who's going to be that. a guy who doesn't do very much? You know, it's it's yeah. tough. All right, so moving on to Terrence Williams, six six senior forward, uh, has been actually pretty good this year, averaging twelve point four points a game, with shooting 44, 39, and seventy nine, and pulling down four point three rebounds a game. He is, I think, by far the biggest silver lining. From an individual <laughs> point of view to this season because he's a guy when they brought him in they had a lot of high hopes that he could be sort of a jack of all trades type maybe not elite in any one area but could guard a lot of different people could play a couple different positions hit a three score inside you know do a lot of different things and it's been a very up and down career for him but he has been pretty steady with this team um, he shot the ball well. Um, you know, nobody's particularly good defensively. So you can't say that, but he's given him a little bit of rebounding. And, you know, I think the real question that I had was, okay, they, they don't have guards, and they don't really even, other than Burnett, and I guess to some extent the Wellen, they don't really even have wings. So where is this <laughs> guy going to fit? Because he had always looked to me like, you know, kind of one of these tweeters that, yeah, it's kind of a body that suggests he could play the three as well as the four, but not the game. And I think he's actually, you know, he's played the three most of the time this year, and I think he's played well. So he's the one guy I think you can look at and say he he outperformed expectations. And then I think the player that Michigan fans were certainly most excited about transferring in this yeah. year was Olivier Kimois, the 6'10 transfer from Tennessee, averaging a little under 15 points a game and 7.2 rebounds a game, shooting 51, 34, and 68. Yeah. You know, I can't say that it's been a bad season for him individually, but I would say this. Tennessee's, Tennessee fans' complaints about him, the primary complaint, was one that, you know, I, I bring up Malik Call a lot as reference points, but it was a similar thing to Malik Call, which was, well, Kemwa got a lot of juice out of his performance in the tournament last year against Duke. Right. Where I forget how many he scored, 28, 30, something like that. Big game. He was good. Yeah. And then what gets forgotten is the next game he didn't do very much, and that apparently was a regularly occurring pattern. Like he was sort of feast or famine. Um. He has not been that offensively for Michigan. He's been a relatively steady scorer. And he gets, you know, I mentioned, I think he was looking for a different role. And he found it. He's, a, he's he or McDaniel, they're, they're options one and two. 
for Michigan. So on mm-hmm. offense, so he's gotten shots. His scoring has dipped a little bit. You know, he's averaging about a point and a half less per game than he was heading the first meeting. So that's declined a little bit. I think they hope for a little better perimeter shooting from him. He's been okay, but not great. Um, at times, he can get things rolling inside the arc, but it's not super, super consistent. Been a good rebounder. He's given them that. But I just think, I think they thought there was the possibility that, hey, he could be the primary guy now. And I think he thought this too. Maybe he gets you 18, 19 a game. And that just hasn't happened. And then defensively, you know, he had a reputation as a very good, very versatile individual defender coming out of a program where they care about defense under Rick Barnes at Tennessee. They, you got to check to play. And so you look at that and you think, well, he alone, you're putting him basically <laughs> in, in the role that Jet with nine T's had last year who couldn't guard his own shadow. Of course they're going to be better. Somehow they're not. Yeah. I don't get it. But I, I can't say he's been a bad addition, but I can say his addition has not made a bit of difference to making this team better. Right, because it almost sounds like this team has a little bit of indifference in general. Like, I think that sometimes when you get the defense just bad, it's just because people just don't care. They're just busy getting their own, you know, on offense. Well, I think there's just no, there's, there's clearly no accountability, and that is across yeah. the board. There's no accountability from the coaching staff, and then there's no accountability within the structure of the team itself. You don't have individuals holding each other accountable. That's yeah, clearly, the, I mean, one of them can't even read a book. Yeah. Right. This is the only way you get with that kind of team at this level of play, Big Ten, that you have a defense this bad. It has to be that. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not, they should not be this bad. No. They should, no there's way. no reason for this. No these way. Players. Their players are not that, these are decent players and they're yep. just playing like garbage. There's the no team. way. So finally, we come to Terrace Reed, 6'10", sophomore, averaging 8.9 points a game, seven rebounds a game, a little over a block and a half, shooting 54% from the floor, and a slightly better at the line at 58%. And he is a turnover machine. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. He struggles with that. But, you know, it's interesting. It was mentioned the other day, and this is not a surprise, that there are rumors flying around. There's a guy named Trilly Donovan who... Um, has it's a pseudonym of course and it has not been as yet identified who that is i think suspicions are that it's a national college basketball media figure but it's someone who gets pretty good information at times um and he had been uh talking this week and mentioned that uh were, were there rumors that doug mcdaniel and terrace reed are both expected to hit the portal well, I, I don't think that's tremendously shocking <laughs> if that were to come Surprise down. But like, well, here's yeah. what was interesting. So this was on a Michigan State message board, and I thought some Michigan State fans were like, oh, I don't want any part of Terrace Reed. That's well, I don't know if I feel that way. I mean, there, you know, Michigan State recruited him very hard, I, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying I think that was even be likely or possible because there's a whole dynamic in there that creates an obstacle right from Jump Street, right? the Michigan, yeah, Michigan State that, thing, yeah. and you just you don't know where that goes. But um, he's a tough one to diagnose because, you know, the turnovers are horrible. He has not progressed as much as a low-post scorer as I thought he might this year. Um, at times, he can be effective, and then at other times, he struggles. 
Uh, but defensively, man, I was so impressed with him as a defender last year. Just at his size, because he's a big, bruising kind of guy, but he can really move his feet. I was, I was just, he played, they were playing him a lot at the four, and he was doing the job. If you remember, he played at the four alongside Dickinson. He was the single biggest factor in a very close game down the stretch when Michigan managed mm-hmm. to beat MSU at Chrysler last year. Terrace Reed wore him out because he was, he was rebounding well on the offensive end and, he was good enough defensively that they could keep him in there and, and he could hang and keep in mind that was guarding, you know, Joey Hauser. So he, I was really impressed. And, and again, I, in his case, I'm willing to chalk it up to this is a function of everything that's going on around him rather than an indictment of him individually. He is still blocking shots, but the individual defense is not where it was last year. I still think there's a very good player there. And whether he stays at Michigan or he moves somewhere else, I, I think there's a chance that that gets figured out before he's done. But it has, this has not represented the step forward I thought it might this season. Well, maybe maybe to Dickinson was such a black hole of uh, on defense that even a, a, a faint light like Reed is actually turns out to actually just be gray. Well, but it looked right but the other, next no, to Dickinson. I'll tell you, though, <laughs> At least Izzo recruited the hell out of him. Yeah, and sure. and you know that that's that that's something that's something that he emphasizes. You know, it doesn't always work out as we see, but he emphasizes, generally speaking, at least the potential for yeah. that for lateral movement, being able to extend out on the floor and hang. You know, handling pick and roll, all that stuff, and and he wanted him pretty badly as a recruit, you know, he was a guy that prioritized before he made the decision to go to Michigan. And then MSU went with Jackson Kohler and then much later, Carson Cooper, all those guys were in the same class, but um, no, I think it was real. I don't think it was just better by comparison, but um, it has not progressed positively this year. Moving into the reserves then we'll begin with Jaden Llewellyn, 62 transfer from Princeton. We've, discussed many times is actually not a point guard, but ends up playing the point because just someone has to do it. He scores uh, 5.1 points a game on 41, 45 and 67 shooting uh, limited volume, uh, 16 assists to 25 turnovers, yeah. which shows that he's not a very good point guard. Yeah. Uh, but I would say I, I watched what game. I don't know if, who was against, but he was really good from three in that game. Yeah. Um, so he's a good shooter. If he you is. leave him alone. He is. And, and he's a guy, you know, that that's, it's hard to say 36% shooting from three is a strength, but it's at least not a weakness for Michigan offensively. And he is part of that. And he has shot. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. There are times where I think they're actually better without Doug, which is a relative thing because they're pretty bad everywhere they are. But um, there are times when he's hitting it, it, it can at times look like, well, maybe they're better off. And then I see turnovers and I eliminate yeah. that thought, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, he's been, look, he's been in a tough situation here. He's injury plagued, um, you know, not miscast for the role that he's in, um, but he does have the ability to shoot. And credit to him for fighting his way back and being able to play at all because he's had some pretty serious injuries. Yeah, I know the fact that he's come back and played and been as effective as he is is yeah. impressive. Yep. Uh, then be a uh, Will Cheddar, six eight junior, averaging seven points a game, two point two rebounds a game in about sixteen minutes, shooting sixty two, sixty seventy, and the reason he doesn't start is because he's really, really bad on defense. 
he can shoot. He's proven that it's not crazy, crazy volume, but he can shoot. He can't do anything else. He is a terrible defensive player. You see from the stats, he doesn't rebound well. He's not physical. Um, it's basically shooting, which credit to him, he couldn't do last year. Right. So, so last year he was a total zero. He found something he could do. Those shooting numbers are pretty crazy. Um, so he's a guy, look, if you're Michigan State, one thing I'm sure Tom Mizzo is thinking about at some point is this is a guy that when he's out there, we we can't let him get loose for wide open right. you shots. You don't double off him. Yeah. No, you can't do that because he, he could, if you let him, you could be on the wrong end of a four for five game from three, and that could make a difference, you know. Then there's Trey Jackson, 6'10", Seton Hall transfer from Detroit. He's averaging five points a game, 2.3 rebounds a game in 15 minutes, shooting 41, 22, and 69. Uh, so he's obviously the uh, the reserve, I guess, for Terrace Reed. To some extent, to some extent, they'll play they'll play Campbell at the five sometimes too. But um, look, they added him because he's a Detroit kid. He had shown some ability to shoot from range at times earlier in his career at Seton Hall. Um, he had also, they thought, had some defensive potential. There was even talk about him playing a lot of three at the start of this season, and it just has not worked out. He's been very bad defensively. He has not been able to dial in the three. That's kind of the story. Yeah. Just because his name is Trey doesn't mean he can shoot, right? Right. Uh, so the finally, we'll, George Washington III, uh, he's one of, the, yeah. one of the few freshmen on the team. Uh, from Ohio, 6'3", averaging seven minutes a game. I don't think he even played the last time they played. He in, did not. Lansing. He did not. Scores. And that's impressive because they didn't have Dick, Doug McDaniel either. Yeah. So he averages a little over a point a game on 18, 21, and 83 shooting. Yeah, the shooting's been horrendous. Oh, that tells you something, what you just mentioned, though. Um, look, he doesn't play steadily. Uh, I, I've got him here because it's possible I could see due to fouls or, or just the way the game unfolds that maybe he gets a, a stint here and there, but it's not going to be a lot. He's he's not ready for prime time. I mean, that was that was kind of understood, I think, in most quarters when they got him that, mm -hmm. you know, he was yeah. a borderline to just outside the top 100 and the feeling was, yeah, this is going to take a year or two. They, they think eventually he might be able to be a, an Eli Brooks type guy who can do a few different things, you know, eventually develops a shot which is not evident now but they'll hope he develops it can maybe chip in a little bit defensively um maybe be a, a decent secondary ball handling option but right now it's it's brutal it's rough <laughs> well i'm going to guess that will cheddar is not the player that michigan needs to keep in the gutter brought to you by the brothers just gutters so who would you say it is Man, I go back and forth on this, but I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say, because two guys, it's McDaniel and, and Camois, right? The, the two leading yeah. scorers. I think that's pretty obvious. I'm going to go McDaniel, though, because as I think about what a scenario would be for Michigan to get a win in this game, I can see scenarios where Camois is not like super dominant, where he's just sort of chipping in. And other guys, like I said, like Shedder maybe has a huge shooting game or uh, Terrence Williams really gets it going or, or Burnett plays above his head for a night, you know. But I have a hard time seeing a scenario where they do that and Doug McDaniel does not play really well. Yeah. And 
And we've seen it before in this series in recent years where guards have really, you know, I think back last year, Doug McDaniel, my memory is, he had not looked at the stats, my memory is he played pretty well in the game at Chrysler. Um, I remember the year before that, Frankie Collins played very well. Didn't see that mm-hmm. coming. You know, we've seen this before. So I'm going to say McDaniel. All right, so then moving on to our squeegee squad of Grand Rapids, Michigan State player who cleans the glass best. Uh, we're gonna. It's currently five to four and a half. I finally made some headway against you after being in the desert for a long time. Uh, so the squeegee squad of Grand Rapids, obviously your go-to go-to guys for taking care of your windows. That's your house. They can work on pretty much any job. No job's too big or too small. So it's residential, commercial, high rise. They even clean the state capitol windows. I mean, they can do everything. So if you need that done, if you think your screen's a little bit dirty, looks like a little smudgy on your windows, contact the Squeegee Squad at Grand Rapids. Or even if you want to get your house uh, spiffed up a little bit, they can take care of it with some power washing. They can go inside, they can go outside, they'll give you quotes for just about anything you want done, and then you can just sort of pick and choose what you want them to do. Uh, you can get 15% off, you mentioned rebound, when you get your estimate. You can get your estimate, and get a link to that at our support page where you can get all the other great links for our show at the final four is not the schedule.com slash support. All right. So, uh, actually I get to pick the first this time cause you got to pick last time you picked Mahdi. and it's, it has gotten trickier now because I think we're starting to see rotation scene starting to change a little bit. Kohler's back. Booker's playing a few more minutes and, uh, you know, cars less. I, I'm going to go with Malik Hall cause he seems like he, I mean, he had a monster game. Mm-hmm. I think this is also a scenario where you, I could see him getting quite a bit of work done as well. So I'm going to, okay. I'm going to go with Malik, leave you with a tough one. I'm going to go. It's dangerous, but I'll, I'm going to go with Madi. And here's my reasoning. I think one thing that Michigan we've talked about is a relative strength for them is offensive rebounding. And, Madi is the best defensive rebounder among Michigan State's options at the five. And mm-hmm. he's also the strongest of those guys. And strength is a factor against Reed and Kamwa, who are pretty well put together guys. And they both have right. good rebounding numbers. You know, they're good both averaging too. seven, yeah, seven plus. So I do feel like this is a game where maybe we see Madi as a little more important than he's been over the last few. So I'm going to go with Madi and, and hope that I, I get lucky. <laughs> All right. We're going to um, the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Uh, Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. They are original sponsors. They do a great work. Uh, you get great Spartan apparel. It's where we get all our uh, Tiff Knot stuff. So I'm wearing it all the time. I'm actually going to be wearing it to the game at, at Michigan. If you want to actually say hi, I'll be in section 220. So I'll be oh out boy, there at halftime. Now you did it. Now I did it. So yeah, you want to say hi, whatever. It'd be cool talking to some people who might listen to the show since I think there are going to be a couple Spartan fans in that in Chrysler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would offer to be there before the game, but I know my wife and there's just no chance we'll be there more than like three <laughs> seconds before tip. So I'll be, <laughs> I'll be there at halftime. Uh, and so you just want to say hi or something. That's cool. Uh, so outside 220, but and I'll have my nudge printing stuff on there and you can see, and I'm not gonna let you feel it. You just have to buy one yourself to feel how nice and soft and comfortable it is, but I would highly recommend it. High quality, uh, screen printed material too. So, uh, make sure you head on over to nudge printing at nudgeprinting.com. 20% off. You type in final four. That's just one word at checkout. 
All right, so five keys of the game. Number one, guarding the arc. So obviously you mentioned before, Michigan is a really good three-point shooting team, and we've well, talked about this before. They're, they're when okay. You're, they're okay. Well, yeah, but that's that's their main offensive sort yes. of weapon besides, I guess, rebounding. Yes. But and also we have mentioned many times when you are a bad team, the way you sort of equalize that is Absolutely. of course somehow making it by scoring extra points in offense. Absolutely. And look, they there's nobody except Shetter and I guess to some extent the well and both of whom are not huge volume guys who you look yeah. at and say, Wow, that's somebody you really gotta lock in on. But you know what? Both of those guys have been great in terms of accuracy. And so you can always be a little bit nervous about them just having one of those games, kind of like Hicks had the other night for Penn State, where the mm -hmm. low-volume guys over the course of the season, but they just get loose that night, and they end up putting up six, and they get five of them. You worry about yeah. that, and then you look at guys like McDaniel and Camwa to some extent, Burnett to some extent, who are not great shooters on the season, but, you know, it wouldn't be totally shocking to see them have an impactful game. You know, over 40 minutes, could they have a night? Yeah, they could. So, to me, this is where the rubber hits the road for Michigan State defensively. You got to do what you can to limit what this team does against you from three. You know, yeah. Well, and I always think too on the road, you're more susceptible to those role players playing big at home than you are when yep. they're in your, in your building. So absolutely. Right. Now, this is a, the dynamics going to be a little bit different for this one, I think, than a normal. <laughs> are you road saying they're game. not having a home game? Is that what but, you're saying? <laughs> well, I'm not prepared to say quite that, but you know, it's going to be different. But but yeah. still, just the fact that it's familiar, a familiar environment, familiar setting, helps. So yeah, that that's. This is what I think of your time as well. This is the primary thing you're worried about when Michigan has the ball. It's the first thing you think about is God, you just you can't have like you don't want to have a game like Penn State just had against MSU, where they go thirteen right. for twenty five, you know, or whatever yeah. it was. Twelve for twenty three. So the second key to the game is Road Warriors. Michigan State now has two road wins, which is, I think, one more than most Big Ten teams yeah. outside of Purdue. Uh, but obviously, this is not a regular road game. This is a rivalry game. And to, no matter how many Spartan fans show up, there's still going to be more Michigan fans, I think, almost for sure. If nothing else, just the students. Possibly. Uh, so it's still going to be a road environment. Possibly. <laughs> I do think <laughs> this is, you know, the good thing is Michigan State people should be feeling a little more enthusiasm because the team's been playing better of late mm -hmm. of the immediately you know two straight wins and i don't know what it is for the last five or four something, last yeah. five and you know they, they've been look they've been better lately so enthusiasm yeah. should be at a good level for this and of course you know the opportunity to feel like you're, you're going to get a chance to experience a takeover when your team wins in the in michigan's gym that's attractive as well um mm -hmm. but it's their building, not yours. And you haven't, haven't won there since 2019. We've had yeah. whatever it is, three straight years, right, of splits um, in the series where Michigan yep. has mm -hmm. won at Chrysler each time and MSU has won at Breslin. Well, MSU's already won at Breslin again this season, so that makes whatever it is. I think that's five years in a row um, Could be, at yeah. Breslin. Yeah, uh, but they haven't had success a lot and God, is there anybody left from the team that last won? I don't think there is. Probably um, not. Yeah, there uh, there wouldn't be. Right. There's nobody left who's won in Chrysler. 
So that, you know, that creates that creates something. Now, again, the dynamic is going to be different than it normally would be because you're going to have, you always have some level of MSU support there, but this is going to, I, I really do suspect this is going to be different. I think there's going to be a lot of MSU people there. So what effect that has, that remains to be seen. But the bottom line is it's a game away from home that does create some challenges. And, you know, what you hope is that you get a response, much like we saw uh, at Penn State, where they just come out and they play very well, pretty much from the early stages, and then settle in, and then it just becomes a basketball. Yeah, I'm fairly confident that the... The heckler from last year will not be behind me, so that'll make it a nice <laughs> visit to Chrysler. Uh, so moving on to the third defensive or third key to the game is defensive rebounding. Uh, we mentioned that Michigan is a pretty good offensive rebounding yeah. team. Not great, but they're pretty good. Top good enough to cause some problems. In the top yeah. 100, but in the 80s. Um, again, that's another, that's another equation. You want to let an underdog hang in the game with you, keep giving them second chances. You know, the hope for Michigan State is that what you've seen over the last two games against a good rebounding opponent in Illinois and a bad one in Penn State is that you start to see some consistency finally arriving in terms of defensive rebounding. Um, that is the challenge. And it's, again, if, you, if you're limiting them to one shot consistently, you're going to have a good chance of winning this game, most likely. A lot of other things yeah. would have to go wrong. Well, and a corollary of that, which is the offensive side for Michigan State too, is yeah. There's obviously opportunities there with Huge. Michigan being dreadful Huge. at defensive Huge. rebounding, so maybe getting some extra opportunities. You know, the the three, the kickback out threes and stuff like yep. that. Those are absolutely worthwhile mentioning that. I mean, I always emphasize the defensive side of this for Michigan State because it's where they've been a little worse, and mm-hmm. it has seemed to be more directly attributable to losing games when it's happened. Yes, I agree. But you're absolutely right. Michigan is a truly awful defensive rebounding team, and MSU absolutely should be able to get second chances. And the fourth key to the game is pace. We say it pretty much every game yeah. that they have to get fast pace, especially, you know, obviously transition, but even when they get into their half yeah. court to get into it quickly. Yeah, look, I mean, Michigan is, to put it mildly... <laughs> is an undisciplined <laughs> defensive team, right? So how do you best exploit a team that's undisciplined? In my mind, it's get them moving. Force them, how do you get them moving? Well, you, you move bodies and the ball moves and moves fast. You swing it side to side with some intent, some purpose behind it. You make them have to read and react and switch and recover and all of those things and if they do that with consistency michigan state will be very hard for michigan to stop um transition also comes into play because again this is not a disciplined team so they've had issues in transition defense pretty much all year michigan state is the best in my mind the best transition team in this league and certainly even statistically you'd say they are one of the better transition teams in the country. It doesn't always feel that way, but statistically, the number of points they get in transition, it's the case. They're a top 25 team nationally in that regard. So the, the formula is there. If Michigan State plays fast, 
they're going to be tough for Michigan to beat. You know, I always feel it's impressive that Michigan State can manage to crack the top 25 in a Big Ten, which is like designed to yeah. stop that from happening but, uh, pretty but much. I, you know? But I will, I will say, you know, this year it it doesn't feel normally normally yeah, the I coaching I agree coaching is yep. so good the scouting is so good that you just expect that teams are just not going to let you run this is something we talk about all the time out usually it's just a relief when then MSU gets into the <laughs> tournament because they're finally yeah. facing teams that don't get back well but I will say this year there seems to be some of it is some coaching changes you know Penn State mm -hmm. now wants to play really fast, really, so that's yeah. different. Um, you've had real slippage in programs like Michigan and Ohio State defensively. You know, that's mm -hmm. part of it. I was always prone to giving that stuff up, so that's no different. But um, even a team like Illinois, Illinois really is intent on playing fast, but I think they're a lot more disciplined than some of those other teams I just mentioned. But you saw the game the other day, you know, last weekend, you can get into kind of a running game with them at times because they do want to play fast. So it's been available more than I think we're used to seeing this year, but kudos to Michigan State for taking advantage of it, and it's something that hopefully we see a lot of in this game. And the fifth and final key is balance. So, again, not to just to sit behind the arc or just to just lay up, so you got to get both ways. So Michigan State and these two wins they've had in the last week has averaged 10 and a half three-point attempts per game. Yeah, it's, that's got to be really low. It is. And, nationwide. And they're, and they're low nationally. They're outside the top 300 in three-point attempts. <laughs> that's pretty low. <laughs> for the season. Their percentage has gotten better and better and better and better to the point that they're, they're I think they're inside the top 30 now nationally. I mean, it's it, it's really gotten they they are a good by any measure they are a very good three point shooting team. But here's the mm -hmm. thing: even with that low number, and you might say, and it's not an unreasonable thought, say, well, God, why isn't MSU taking more threes? They shoot them well. I, I'm going to disagree with that in this sense. I think they have found an offensive approach that definitely against a certain type of opponent, they are well advised to stick with. So what have we seen the last two games? We, we've seen teams that, um, to some extent, less so Penn State, but definitely Illinois. And, you know, Michigan does pretty well with it too. Defensively, they work to try to take away threes. So part of it is yeah. that. But all of these teams and Michigan, maybe worst of all, shows real vulnerability against the two. So what has Michigan State done? They have been focused on getting the ball to the rim. They've done that by penetration. They've done that via post-ups. They've done it by getting into transition. They've done it a lot of different ways, but the bottom line is, that, oh, and they've, they've also been drawing fouls. They've also been getting themselves to the line. They really did that well against Illinois, to a lesser extent against Penn State, but still enough. Um, yeah, I think given the really serious weakness Michigan has defending against twos, they would be well advised to do something similar to what we've seen over the last week in these two previous games. Um, so that means the guards are intent on getting the ball into the lane, getting the ball to the rim, and they're also mixing in, hopefully, some really good post play out of Malik Call. 
This is going to be interesting because, again, Michigan said it a hundred different ways. They're a truly bad defensive team. But one-on-one, Camwa defending against Malik Call on the blocks will be interesting because Camwa's got a size advantage. So Malik, right. you know, unlike that Penn State game and unlike certain matchups against Illinois even, he's not just going to be able to just go through Camwa easily and overpower him. Right. But with the kind of footwork and quick release that we've seen lately from Malik, can he still be effective down there? Yeah, I think he can. Um, but it, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Uh, but but regardless, I think look, I think Michigan's perimeter guys are going to have a hell of a time keeping MSU's guards out of the lane. I just don't think they're built to do it very well. We haven't seen indications that they can do it very well. So as long as MSU's mentality is right, that should lead to good things. And then hopefully that that also leads to some open jumpers, you know, and you start to get production there. But you want to see that balance. What you don't want to do is see MSU just going hog wild from three. I don't think that's the offensive approach you want to see. Yeah, unless you're left, unless you're left wide open, which is... Then you got to take them. Then you got to take them. Yeah, or the yeah. transition threes like yeah. with Aikens and things like right. that. Yeah, but right. But uh, but I'm saying sure. just, yeah, where you're just settling for shots. That's what you don't want to see. This is not a team to settle against. I would say in the Penn State game, the second half, it was a little bit like that. There were a lot of hand grenade threes at the yeah. end of the shot clock and stuff. Yeah. So they had to avoid those sorts of, yep. uh, those sorts of looks. Yep. But again, this team, this team does not do a good job of extending... It's defensive possessions, meaning Michigan. Teams are, are really playing fast against them. So there's not much of an excuse going into this one for that to happen very often. Well, this game is going to be late on Saturday. It's kind of a featured game. Uh, I, this is the game, too, that if it, were, if it wasn't Michigan, I'd feel a lot more confident about a big win for Michigan State. But I think, yeah. you know, just the rivalry and Michigan's yep. going to yep. play hard, play, play more together than they have most of the game, most of the time this season. It's going to be a tougher game, and they tend to be a really good first-half team. So I guess in some ways you just want to make sure you stay in contact in the first half. Yeah, all good. If you're down, just buy a bucket or two and then kind of turn it on the second half. All true. And and it's look, it's why you have some level of nervousness because everything on paper says, oh, this is this is a double-digit right. win, right? Right. But, yeah. but that factor, the fact that none of the guys on this team know what it's like to win in that building, which isn't the end of the world, but it's – you know, you feel yeah, better if they know it. what it's like, you know, um, <laughs> and and so that, you know, that be, and, and the fact that you would you would expect that if Michigan's ever going to find a moment this year to rally around, I mean, they did get the win over Wisconsin, but um, this would be one where you would expect like if they've got any reservoir of pride and any kind of desire to make a positive statement for their coaches, this would be the one, right? Of course, what mitigates that is they got a lot of guys who don't really know the rivalry very well. What does Camois know about playing Michigan State? What does Burnett know about playing Michigan State? Luella, I mean, you know, Doug McDaniel and Travis and, and Terrace Reed have played them, you know, a couple of times, but that's that's it. There, there is not. Let's put it this way: they don't have the halls, the whole guard. I mean, they got Terrence Williams. He's the one guy who's been in it a lot. 
They don't have Hall, Hogard, Mahdi, Akins, uh, even even Tyson Walker. You know, Tyson Walker is playing his sixth game career against them. That's a lot. And so yeah. that that makes it interesting, that dynamic. Like, okay, you would think going into it, yeah, this would be a game that if they're ever going to summon it up and play hard for 40 minutes and, and you know, show some of that self-belief and dignity and all those things that it happens now. <laughs> but that's assuming that those guys collectively have an understanding of this the way that you would hope. And they that there's not a lot of evidence of that. There's not a lot of not a ton of reason for them to feel that way unless their coaching staff is somehow able to really transmit that to them and get them to believe. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, we're all going to be nervous because it's a game with no upside for Michigan State. Almost right. none. Yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, we didn't even mention Jed Howard, but he's I guess he's questionable. It's Jay, interesting. Jay, I was just looking Jay at the Howard. Yeah. Jace, yeah, sorry. He's yeah. been hurt and sick and uh, yeah, I I don't yeah. know if I'd expect to see him. Also of note, Stephen Izzo is also listed as questionable. So if you have to maybe you want to change your betting plans for the game too so well but it would be uh, i'll tell you where that might be interesting if this thing does get ugly then there might not be an opportunity for him to have a second score this year you know that's possible right yeah yeah this may be the this may be the the chance we'll hope for the best yeah exactly all right well i think we'll get out of here i will see you guys after the game i'd be remiss not to mention um my my wife's father-in-law passed away from uh, a struggle with pancreatic cancer, and um, he's a big Spartan fan, Spartan alum, and so uh, we'll say goodbye to Bob Sr. Also, it, interestingly, they were getting his suit ready for um, what he'd wear, and in his pocket was a uh, prayer from the funeral for my son that he had kept with him for the last five years, and so it's kind of cool. So. I know they'll both be up there in the Celestial Palace cheering on Michigan State on Saturday. Uh, So until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go Green.